Greetings, dear listeners. This is the year of underrated Stephen King, and I am your host, Kim C. This is a literary book podcast where I try, as a university English teacher, to dissect the good, the bad, the ugly, and the exquisitely wonderful found within the underrated works of Stephen King. Welcome, welcome, everybody listening out there. This is an extra special additional helping from last week's investigation of 1987's The Tommyknockers. So this isn't quite a literary analysis. We're just going to have a little bit of fun doing a creative exercise I do with my students all the time, but I decided to do it myself with all of you and have a little bit of fun discussing further the incredibly strange output (laughs) that is 1987's The Tommyhawkers. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, please jump back and do so. You can skip around and hear the parts I loved, the parts I just downright despised, as well as the parts that made me curious, the areas of the novel I really wish you would have spent some more time on, and overall examining the novel as one of the final ones, one of the final works that King put out before running, I feel, into sobriety because it was written over a five-year period from 82 to 87, and in between all that, we really get five different writers, one, (laughs) several of which were heavily under the influence of alcohol and cocaine, and so it reads as such, ladies and gentlemen, it really does, but as an academic and an educator, I'm always looking and thinking and Uh, slicing and dicing, cut and pasting, juxtaposing to see sort of the the structure of a piece. Uh, I remember one of my former professors always said, the real art is in the arrangement, right? I think there's, there's something to that. So today's episode... We're going to have a little fun in something I'd like to call the TK edit. (laughs) And this is taking an extra look on if we were in the editing room or if we were approached by a production company and they said, help us write the script for a new Tommyknockers adaptation, what would you do? Basically, this is an exercise where I ask my students, today I'm asking myself, what would I do if I had the power to fix the Tommyknocker novel, right? Like, this is all on us to fix it. What would we do? So this is a super fun exercise. I do it with my students a lot. This is an especially fun exercise if you're just dipping your toe in the water in terms of creative output or trying to get in touch with your creative side and maybe you're not sure if you want to take a course yet, but you're a little curious on tapping into your abilities or instincts or little curiosities. I always advise my students, take something you enjoy participating in, whether it's a video game, a novel, a film, and make sure it's kind of wishy-washy on the ratings. So it's it can't be a stellar one, it can't be a five star, it can't be any of those. 
this has to be middle of the road. So C plus, B minus kind of an output. You watch it or read it or participate in it and you try to do it twice. So we always watch the film twice or you read the novel twice try to pick a short one for time's sake, especially if it's a homework assignment. And then on the second go-round, you start to notice how, well, the first go-round you're just observing, right? So the first time you participate in it, you're just observing, you're just, I, I have my students, so you're not even allowed to take notes, you're not even, just, just absorb, just be a sponge, take it all in. With the second go-round, you definitely need to start asking your, your questions, like why did they do this or what if they did that, and then we start to compose our thoughts of how we feel we could potentially change it all around for the better. If you could edit something to help the film be better, help the story uh, take a direction that would have been more favorable, help the video game have more power or clarity, whatever it is, this is an amazing way to tap into whatever little inklings you got in there in terms of being creative. So we're gonna do that today with the Tommy Knockers. And I was thinking about it. Granted, don't have time to give it a second read through, so I'm kind of violating the rules of my own <laughs> homework assignment, but it was a very long book at 550 pages. It took me almost a month chipping away at it. You wanna know why, guys? Because it was unenjoyable. That's why it took me about a month, because it was work. I didn't like it, it was not fun. Ergo, please forgive me for not uh, reading it twice. I'm sure in the future I will take another crack at it. That's one of my favorite Aussie expressions. Shout out to all of my, my Aussies. Um, I I don't know. Do they say that in the UK? They might. Please forgive me. Everyone forgive me if I got that wrong. I just remember when I was in Australia. That was a heavily <laughs> used expression. Uh, have a crack, Kim. Have a crack. Um, ergo, I'm going to take a crack at it today. Forgive me that I haven't read it twice, but um, I this is such a fun exercise and I would love to do it with all of you. So let's get started. What I'd like you to do before we dive in is brainstorm. So put on your thinking caps. If you've recently read The Tommyknockers or if you read it a long time ago, jump back to my episode from last week to maybe brush up on a couple things, main characters, main plot points, the town of Haven, some of those big bullet points might be helpful. Uh, I am going to have some spoilers in here just haphazardly, so tread carefully. Uh, definitely recommend hearing my episode from last week just to get us both on the same page. So before we go into our next section, put on your thinking cap and ask yourself if you were approached by a production team and they're ready to make a Tommyknockers film, they're ready to make a follow-up novel, whatever it is, uh, a series, and they want you on the team, they want you on the creative team, and you have to advise, you have to fix it what would you do? How would you take the story of the Tommyknockers? 
how could we make it better? There's a zillion different paths we could take for sure, but I'm gonna share some of my ideas with everybody to, uh, yeah, maybe we're on the same page. Maybe we agree, maybe we disagree, but I would love to hear your thoughts, so be sure to write me at underratedsk at gmail. I would love, love, love to know what you guys think about this exercise and how would you fix the Tommy knockers? That is the question for the day. How would you fix it? What would you do? Where would you start? What would you omit? What would you add in? These are amazing questions. So meet me in the next section and let's get into it. everybody welcome welcome to this extra special little ditty this is uh, an additional serving of last week's episode of the Tommy knockers where we're just gonna talk about a few more things a few more ideas stemming from a really fun creative exercise that I play with my students all the time I love to do this with films this is such a fun thing with films one of my favorite favorite films to work on is and I hope you guys watch this. Please watch it for me because I would love, love, love to um, see your thoughts. This is one of my favorite films to do this exercise with and it's 2015's The Age of Adeline. So this stars Blake Lively and uh, Harrison Ford, Ellen Burstyn, and it's kind of like it's a little bit paranormal, a little bit science fiction, uh, but the first, so I, I love this one because this is a B movie, maybe a little bit low on the B, C scale. This is um, one where the first half an hour is killer, right? It's, it's interesting, it's beguiling, Blake Lively is stunningly beautiful. Like, I'm sorry, I don't care what you think about her, but just do yourself a favor. She is a walking perfume commercial. She is a timeless American beauty. And uh, I stand by that. So please check out this goddess walk across the screen in the age of Adeline. Um, the first half hour is killer and then something starts to unravel folks. And so I have my students do an analysis of what exactly happened, what went wrong, how can we fix it? So if you ever wanna be a student of mine, <laughs> in intermediate fiction. Uh, definitely give me your thoughts if you watch the movie. I would love, love, love to hear from you regarding that. That'll be an extra special bonus assignment. But back to our, uh, the agenda at hand. I have five points for all of you guys in regards to how I would fix the Tommy knockers. So if they consulted me and said, Kim C, we need you, help us fix the Tommy knockers, I would then sit down and here's where I would start. So these are my five points. Once more, spoilers ahead, jump back to my last episode of the previous week's Tommy knockers for uh, to brush up on my thoughts. But number one, the first big change I would make is to start with the town. So 
One thing that we see within the Tommyknockers novel is, as I kind of stated at the beginning or somewhere in last week's episode, what's frustrating about the Tommyknockers is structure. We have a wonderful opening with the character of Bobby Anderson. I really did love the opening. It's a great hook. But we hang out with Bobby a little too long and we hang out with Jim Gardner a little too long in the intro. I want to say the good first 75, almost 100 pages is kind of these two. Uh, And then it becomes a book about the town of Haven and its inception, its discovery, all of these iterations. And then we start you know, hopscotching and popcorning to different townsfolk and how they're connected to Haven. And it it's like, okay, well, wasn't this a Bobby Anderson, Jim Gardner story? Because we spent so much time with them. So if I were to do a revised version of the Tommyknockers, I would kind of channel the strengths from Salem's Lot. In Salem's Lot, that's another ensemble cast novel, Under the Domes, another big one, another good example to use here. For Salem's Lot, Ben Mears is our main character. He's kind of like a drifter, a young student. Is he a student or a young teacher? I forget. And he comes into the town of Salem's Lot. He gets a room at a like a kind of ha- boarding house or an Airbnb. <laughs> I said Airbnb. Oh, God. Uh, a bed and breakfast, a real one. Um, and uh, then stops, starts walking around meeting the townspeople and the reader is sort of set on the course right away that this is about the town. Um, the structure of the Tommyknockers is misleading, I think. Granted, once he starts introducing characters, I think the reader does forgive King a little bit and we're like, okay, this is about the town and not exactly a story about Bobby and Jim, even though they are sort of our main players they're in the spotlight. So I would kind of channel what the 93 film version did as well, which is to make the town, make it about the town, very much like Chester's Mill in Under the Dome or um, Salem's Lot, which is literally Jerusalem's Lot. Make it about the town. So right away, your viewer kind of gets a gets to salivate a little bit of that bird's eye view of like, oh wow, I'm gonna get to see everybody. Also, the viewer gets that taste of dramatic irony, meaning we, the reader, are going to know everything, all the secrets, all the things that happen in the shadows, all those sort of moments where you see someone's integrity disappear and you see the dark hearts behind everybody's motivations and intentions, that's what the reader gets. And I feel there could have been some great strengths if King would have started out Uh, where he begins with the town of Haven. If he would have started there, um, he could have still kept the Bobby introduction, but make it way short. Definitely carve that one up. Give us a little slice of Bobby, then get into the town right away. So that way the reader starts to sort of buckle up for, okay, 
I'm ready for a lot of content. I'm ready for a big Thanksgiving-sized King delivery, a cast of characters that's going to be really nourishing, really satisfying. I'm ready for it. So I would start with the town, make it about the town, uh, because that's what he tried to do. He went back to Salem's Lot a little bit in the structure of the book, but it was too late. It was too late, and I feel if we would have started with the town of Haven, we would have had a stronger execution. All right, so that's my first one. Number two, make Altair 4 more of a thing. So this is kind of going to stem into my deeper argument, which is number three, about the aliens in general, but we'll wait on that in just for a second. So Altair 4, as you guys know, is mentioned once or twice throughout the novel as being the mysterious either origin or the planet which our extraterrestrial characters, these aliens, in the ship buried deep in the ground of Haven. It is implied through the text that that's where they might be from. That's where they might be from. Because uh, it's like, okay, um, what, what we have here with Altair 4 is mentionings of a dark, airless void of a place. Almost as if, if you're thinking about it in the context of film, where we barely get a little square of light and the characters kind of suffocated by all the darkness surrounding them. Altair 4 reads a lot like that, where we're just in this desolate void of a place. Um, and so it's mentioned more than once in the novel about um, Hilly Brown's brother David being there. David Brown is on Altair 4 and he is sort of teleported there by the sort of mischievous ma machinations, machinations, pardon, machinations of the Tommyknockers. So their influence, or the aliens rather, I should say, because the Tommyknockers is loosely, here's where it also gets confusing. This is another messy part of the book. The Tommyknockers seems to be a euphemism for a few things, right? It's a little bit uh, the townsfolk who are hypnotized and kind of like offering themselves up to the aliens are called the Tommyknockers. And then the actual Tommyknocker or the word Tommyknocker is attributed to the aliens as a kind of boogeyman moniker. They're called the Tommyknockers as something frightening. Uh, the recurring rhyme scheme that the reader sees throughout the novel, um, I I can't go out. I'm too, uh, I want to go out. Don't know if I can. I'm so afraid of the Tommyknocker man. So we have a, a bunch of, of multi-layered meanings of the Tommyknockers, but back to my point, number two, make Altair 4 more of a thing. And by this, because our first point is making the novel about the town of Haven, I want the town to have a deeper connection to Altair 4, meaning I, I want to make it a real place rather than just a kind of ambiguous, dark, craggy, bleak, airless place 
that someone kind of almost dies in, sort of. Uh, I'm talking about the storyline featuring little David Brown, the little brother of Hilly Brown, who is teleported to Altair 4. So Altair 4, even when you say its name, it's cool. It's interesting. It's like, oh my god, what is that? Where is that? Like, truly, is it in our galaxy? Is it is? How far away is it from Earth? How did they find us? The alien thing is is huge, but Altair 4, the place, needs to be more of a thing, my guys. Uh, dear listeners, we need to either have the townspeople having dreams about it, uh, researching it, somebody discovering it, the planet, the source needs to be more of a thing. This leads me to my next point in regards to number three. We really, 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 really need to narrow down the the goal of the aliens. As I mentioned in last week's episode, we either have the good aliens who want to help mankind, who want to sort of throw us a bone and help us because they are extremely advanced and benevolent and maybe, you know, just galactic goodwill. I have no idea. Um, So we've got some lovely Hollywood examples of nice aliens out there. Um, Cocoon is one of them I forgot to mention last last week. That's a cute one with with senior citizens. It's pretty cute. Uh, So we've got some nice uh, old school alien movies where the race of aliens are kind to Earth. They are kind to Earthlings, etc. They benefit us by helping us either with resources, intelligence, etc. In this novel, these people definitely want to murder us um, in the ways of strange ways, um, they seem to, what I, this is probably the worst part of the Tommyknockers is that the aliens really kind of appear like, well, they don't appear, but their motivations are pretty devilish and sinister. And I want to ask King, do you, did you want to make like little devils who influence mankind to sin and do terrible, heinous criminal acts? Um, like traditional, you know, the depictions of Satan or evil in which, you know, the whole point of evil is to influence mankind to commit sin because it hurts the creator. It hurts the benevolent creator. This is, of course, from a Judeo-Christian perspective. Um, the devil was, his main goal is to st- steal, steal, kill, and destroy mankind because it hurts God. And the devil wants nothing more than to hurt God. So we've got Tommyknocker slash aliens who are behaving in a way where they're draining the citizens of Haven, yet contributing to their lives by having them create really elaborate, amazing machines out of everyday household items. These people are just grabbing toasters and batteries and parts of of little this and that, little doodads and tchotchkes and gluing them together and making these crazy inventions. So they're contributing to their intelligence. They are yet weakening them. They cause sporadic blood flow, heavy menstrual periods, gushing nosebleeds. They have all their teeth fall out. Like there's some creepy side effects. 
So we're going to keep the fact for our revised ver version of Tommyknockers, we're going to keep the aliens evil. Of course, this is a King novel and it seems like he's leaning toward his, uh, his aliens being evil. Okay, but do they want to just, do the aliens want the citizens of Haven to destroy each other because they're just like little devils who want to, you know, just get their jollies out of seeing us kill each other? Or is it a little bit more advanced, right? We're dealing with aliens. We're dealing with, you know, alien creatures light years ahead of us in intelligence, wisdom, perhaps development, invention, civilization, all those things. So if we're going to keep them evil, it's like, okay, well, then we got to channel the sort of War of the Worlds, like, let's just either you want our planet or there's something about us you want, like kind of Matrix style where you just want us as an energy source. Like maybe you're just here on Earth because if this ship crash landed into Haven and it's been buried in the ground for thousands of years, uh, well, I, I thought to myself, do I want to keep it in there for thousands of years? Do I want it to be a recent crash? So that I haven't decided on, but what I do want is, okay, if we're going to keep the aliens evil, I think that they're going to want to destroy us so they can benefit. We die so they live, right? Because all living creatures are interested in their own survival, their own replication, their own survival. That's about it, and that's as animal as we can get, right? So. For my Tommyknocker edit, I would have them kind of treat us. I know it's slightly cliche because we have the Matrix. We know uh, in that storyline that humans are kind of made into batteries, into energy sources for the machines where, you know, that's that's why we're kind of in that computer program. So we might tinker with the overall motivations, but alien stuff is pretty simple, guys. It's either good or it's bad. And I think King was overly complex about it or he didn't even really give that much thought into it at all and just kind of made them evil in quotes in the way that we have ghosts, demons, monsters, sort of the traditional haunted uh, L, um, haunted characters from previous gothic incarnations of stories. But with aliens, we gotta think a little differently, guys. So my number three point, we gotta really narrow down what kind of aliens we want. Really, we gotta flesh that out, guys. We're gonna keep them evil. We know that for sure. So why do they wanna kill us? They need to maybe get home, right? And if their ship is crashed, maybe they are too weak. We have a really cool scene in the novel where Jim and Bobby actually get inside the ship and we do see the bodies of these really tall, skinny, gangly, creepy alien life forms. And they're kind of awesome in their description, of course, but they're dead and it looks like uh, they had weapons in their hands and so King definitely made some sinister alien corpses, but they want to destroy us for a specific purpose. 
I don't think they want our planet, right? Because, <laughs> gosh, this thing is uh, kind of not doing so good. Uh, so I don't know if they want our planet unless something happened to Altair 4, right? Circling back, Altair 4 needs to be more of a thing. If that's their home, right? What's their motivation for leaving Altair 4? Or why did they... Clearly they crashed here. So what happened? If they're trying to get back to Altair 4, you know, they we've got some evil ET action, right? They need to get home. What are they going to do to get home? Well, they're going to absorb as much human tissue, bone, I don't know what kind of nutrition they might be able to garner from our our overly stressed, overly caffeinated, uh, mental illness ridden bodies and brains. I don't know what they're going to get, but clearly it might be a lot if they could get a lot of us. So perhaps they start with the town of Haven, much like circling back to Salem's lot where, which was incredibly successful. The entire town is taken over by vampires, right? So I think King kind of wanted to do the same thing here with Haven. So because Salem's lot, was a success. Not saying I want to completely do a carbon copy just with aliens, but they want to get home. How are they going to get home to Altair 4, right? If they don't want to get to Altair 4, you know, then why, why are they here on Earth? So for me, a crash landing symbolizes that it was an accident. I don't think they wanted to crash land here because... Earth ain't that cool. Uh, I'm sure where they're from, with their technology, what they're able to accomplish with their advancements, they're coming from uh, greener pastures, it seems. So I want more of Altair 4. I really want more aliens, and I want to make sure the line is definitive, right? I want a definitive line of what kind of aliens do we have and why do they want to destroy us. And it cannot be what King gave us, which is, ooh, the woods are haunted and it's just going to cause us to, um, you know, corrupt the souls of the Haven citizens and make them, you know, kill their children and rape their children because we have that in the novel. Heads up, everybody. Watch out. Um, or murder each other or do all of these sinister embezzlings and all kinds of, of stuff where you're like, okay, this makes no, no sense at all. Um, soul corruption, that's what, you know, sort of the traditional evil, uh, unrestful spirits, that kind of thing. As I talked about in my previous episode, aliens, guys, we gotta raise the bar a little bit. So my point number three, please, please, please let us explore the kind of aliens we want. I want evil aliens, of course, evil meaning they have malicious intent, they need to kill us, but for the sole purpose of gaining energy to get back to Altair 4. Um, and in order to get us, because they are weak, I would probably have them give the town of Haven, we'll start by collective dreaming, right? We want some of the the green light to maybe appear in their minds. Uh, the citizens of Haven start to dream. Uh, I do want the ship to awaken from Bobby Anderson's discovery in the woods, right? I definitely want something where she kind of activated it somehow. I don't want the the way King did it, which is to have the ship sort of corrupting the ground for generations. That doesn't work at all. No, no, no. Let's strike that. I want it to 
be sudden. I want it to be something where Bobby stumbles upon it, the ship. Something happens where it wakes up a little bit, or rather, it is able, one of the beings inside is able to awaken. And because uh, they or them are so weak, you know, being dead or perhaps in a cryo sleep, I have no idea. They need energy. They need the citizens of Haven to sort of walk over, dig up the ship so they could just absorb everybody and eat us. I think that might be a good place to start. Um, but they would probably trick us a little bit by filling us with tremendous intelligence, maybe curing some diseases or ailments, maybe causing people to seek the ship out, dig it up. But the sole purpose and what the viewer would know the entire time is that they're trying to get home to Altair 4 and they need to kill us all in order to get there. So sounds a little overly simplistic, but with the magic of television, you can take a simple idea, guys, and with enough shadows and lighting and mysterious sort of cliffhangers for each episode, even though it's simple, we can still create a kick-ass show. Which leads me to my fourth point, let's make a show and not a movie. I think with Tommy Knockers, because it is simple, we can create a tremendous amount of mystery. We have a dozen or so characters that we can um, sort of augment and strengthen and we can create some really awesome episodes just focusing on one character, kind of like the series Lost did back in the day. I hate that show, mostly because I was disappointed by the ending. I talk about that, I think it's when uh, I discuss the Institute. I don't remember where I talked about Lost, but Lost was a groundbreaking show. I will give it credit for what it accomplished, which was tremendous narrative television. It was really great for character development. However, they screwed us all with their endless meanderings with plot lines that never came to fruition. Um, and even the writers in Entertainment Weekly, shortly after the season finale, proudly admitted that they were hoping the viewers would just forget about certain plot lines. And that enraged me, and I wanted to flip tables and Hulk smash the world because that's very irresponsible writing. Um, and it's cruel. You should not do that to viewers. You should not manipulate and trick them, I don't think. Um, there should always be a payout for the reader, for the viewer. Um, so don't do what Lost did and just give everybody the finger by the time it ends. Um, I was unable to be a peaceful viewer of Lost. I was very angry. Um, I understand how it might have required me to let go a little bit, but I'm still a little sour about it. I'm still a little surly. Um, I would love to talk more about that with all of you guys, but uh, let's definitely make a series. Let's make a limited series, if not, if it's successful, but let's minimum eight episodes. And I think we could do that. Let's do 10. Eight's a little, a little lean. Let's do 10. 10 episodes where we start with Bobby, we start with Peter the Beagle, we have Jim Gardner kind of in and out of her life in this very interesting push and pull, this kind of very progressive friends with benefits relationship, yet there's a deep friendship there that's probably stronger than their sexual attraction to each other. So I really want to explore that a little bit more, but we have to have the town of Haven in the spotlight, right? So we got to have the downtown. We got to have the general store. One of the most brilliant, brilliant, 
brilliant iterations of this. I know I've mentioned, of course, Salem's Lot and of course, uh, Under the Dome, but jump back to my episode on Storm of the Century. Oh my God, you guys. That was a 1999 miniseries where King wrote the teleplay. Holy hell, is that incredible. That is a 10 out of 10 for me, my guys. That is magic. It is the town of Little Tall Island, which is featured in Dolores Claiborne and a couple other places in King's work. And wow, that is a tremendous character cast. That is the dark heart of a small town. It is executed flawlessly. I'm obsessed in love with it. I can't wait to watch it again, actually. So in regards to that, we need to have time in order to build up the town, right? Just like Storm of the Century did, like Chester's Mill, like Salem's Lot, Jerusalem's Lot. Um, we need that time to get to know the characters and to get to know all of their sinister, dark little secrets, right? That's what makes these shows great um, because the viewer has all the power. The viewer knows all the secrets. And so we wanna keep tuning in to see if justice will be served, if so-and-so will get found out, if the dead body will get discovered. There's a million amazing directions we could take it, the town of Haven. We've got the sweet story of Hilly Brown, the, the brothers, one disappears. We've got Ruth McCausland, who was a tremendous uh, senior citizen. We, I love my Stephen King senior citizens. You guys know that. She was tremendous as sort of the heart of the town, involved in everything. She's a huge ringleader, a, a wonderful leader, and yet she kind of finds out very early that these beings are sinister and they want to kill her, they want to harm the town, they want to kill everybody, they want to harm everybody. And she wisens up and tries to take matters into her own hands, isn't successful, but we have a wonderful cast of characters. I want to say we got about at least five to six strong ones in the Tommyknockers. Um, Anne, Anne Anderson, hilarious, that was Bobby's older sister. What a cranky, cranky woman, but she was a powerhouse, she was feisty. I want her in the show. This is my, my Tommyknocker show. Uh, I definitely have a good five to six who I would absolutely add in there and then we could maybe uh, cherry pick some of the more B level, some of the more eh, forgettable ones. We could strengthen those a little bit because everybody in the town has secrets and everybody is encountering the newly awakened alien presence. They don't understand what they're feeling. They're having dreams. They're getting nosebleeds. Their teeth are falling out, right? So we could really make an awesome show. We could make a tremendously cool show uh, kind of highlighting all of these characters and the symptoms, which I felt was one of the strongest parts of the Tommyknockers. These mysterious symptoms, this augmented intelligence, all of a sudden they're building stuff, they're gluing stuff together. It works. Like There's a million cool things we could do with this in a 10 episode Tommyknocker series where perhaps at the season finale somebody gets to Altair 4 or one of somebody gets inside the ship and then we see the actual life form we could really do some amazing stuff with a very simple story so uh, let's see if I can recap 
my, I think my fifth one, number five was, of course, let's keep Bobby Anderson as a lead. So I know I kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier, but I think it is important. She is the star in King's work, and I think it's important we keep her as the star in this one, even though it is an ensemble cast novel, kind of like um, Barbie in Under the Dome and Ben Mears in Salem's Lot. And then you have, oh god, I'm forgetting his name, um, the main constable in Storm of the Century, and of course Andre Linoge in Storm of the Century. We've got some standout people. Bobby Anderson is one of the epicenters. She is the, the star, and I think it's important we keep her in that spotlight because she's the one who undergo undergoes the most transformation. Um, granted, I think it's a little too much. I don't feel it's necessary that our Haven citizens transform. I think when you get a little bit into the makeup, prosthetics, CGI, that's where it's risky. It's 50-50. It's a, it's a bet. It's a bet we'd have to make. But um, we could do it. But I, I, in my show, in my Tommyknocker edit, I would like us to maybe keep the transformation to a minimum, perhaps all just silhouette, shadow, the tiniest little glimpse of some creepy skin or a weird little eye flicker, a pupil change, something that's very, very subtle because people will people will keep their little cat claws in mystery more than they will the actual reveal, right? So let's sort of obey the laws of suspense and dangle that carrot a little bit more. That is how I would improve the Tommy Knockers. So to recap, number one, make it about the town. Yes, yes, yes. Do not deviate from the fact that the success or what King I think was trying to do but did not is this is about the town of Haven, Maine. This is about a town who becomes completely consumed by an alien, literal alien influence. Number Two, make Altair 4 more of a thing. This is huge. Altair 4 is their home planet. We need to know more about it. We need to see it. We need to have more people dream about it. It needs to be something that we connect with what's happening to the people of Haven. It's so huge. It's such a powerful device. It's such a powerful visual device. If we were to do a series, we gotta have Altair 4 be huge, my guys. Number three, let's really decide on our aliens. Let's really narrow down our alien motivation. Let's do it, guys. All right, they want to kill us. Why do they want to kill us? They want to get home to Altair 4. I think that's that would be my, that's my pitch. They want to get home. They need energy to do that and humans are a great big source of energy, especially a lot of us. Maybe vaporized or chomped into jelly. I don't know. However you want to convert us into calories for for energy, uh, we can insert some creepy, cool uh, human destruction on the alien side. But uh, let's decide, really decide our alien motivation, uh, who they are, why they are, and keep it simple. Number four, let's make a show 
not a movie. Um, a movie would be hard. We could do it. We could definitely do it. But let's do like a 10 episode show where we can make a really mysterious uh, series about the town, which I know that's been done with some of our favorites. We've got a lot of shows we can list that do that exact thing. However, it never gets old because towns are mysterious and townspeople already always have secrets and that's where we would find the power, the viewership, and we would give the viewer all the power, all that dramatic irony. The viewer would be able to know what's going on. They would see all the warts and they would see behind the curtain the entire time and that could Gives the viewer a lot of power and that's that's a good thing for a viewer it keeps them uh questioning and wondering when all will be revealed so i would give the viewer a ton of power a lot of secrets revealed a lot of hidden motivations make the townspeople um i am struggling I'll leave this for my last question. Let me finish my recap. Number five, uh, keep Bobby Anderson as the lead. She is cool. She is strong. Her and her dog, Peter, she is 37 years old. I would keep her age exactly that. I would keep so many things about Bobby's character. I think she's got a really strong outline and she's got strong roots. So I would keep Bobby Anderson as a lead, very similar to Ben Mears in uh, Salem's Lot. But lastly, this is my last little star question. So those are my five, those are my five little bullet points for the TK edit. Of course, much more can be discussed, but those would be the main things I would talk about as must have in the new version in this writer's room. But here's the big question to everybody. Here's the last little nugget to chew on. Would we make it modern day? So what, could we make it modern day? Or could there be a little bit of magic and mystery if it was, you know, the 1970s or the 1980s as King put it, 1987? That would be kind of cool. So we would really need to brainstorm if we would want it modern day. I think um, maybe the past would be cool, especially the 80s. You want to know why? Because we're all obsessed with the 80s. We all love them. Everybody loves the 80s. It's true. It's super true. You know it in your heart. We're obsessed. So there's never ever enough 80s programming or um, retro revisits. I relish them. I adore them. So we could definitely do 80s. However, uh, that's kind of already been done with Stranger Things. So um, we could do 60s, we could do 70s, we could do 50s. Uh, we can do a little bit of Roswell action akin to Roswell action. Um, there would that we could do some cool stuff. There's also flashbacks we could do. Uh, I love time travel flashbacks, or not necessarily time travel, but flashbacks into the past. Always, always fun. Um, you know, the, they're so visual. We've got the clothes, the music. Those are all really fun, especially for uh, visual adaptations. But would you guys keep it modern day or would you just sell out and go completely in the past? I would either consider maybe mid 90s, that might be fun. 
or I think the 70s. The 70s is fun as well. Um, I want to do 80s with all my heart, but Stranger Things is incredibly successful and <laughs> we already have some really fun uh, alien stuff going on with that terrific Netflix show. Make sure you check it out if you're a fan of the 80s. Um, and King. There's a lot of King stuff in there. Um, but that's all I have for this little ditty, my guys. Thank you so much for listening, dear friends. I appreciate you all so much. And this is an opportunity to write into the show if you haven't already. I would love to hear from you. Please say hello and give me your thoughts on the Tommy Knockers. This is a tremendous book for its poor execution. This is um, a book that I would definitely, uh, when looking at it academically, it's quite a puzzle piece. It's a mess, but it's there's a lot of reasons why it's a mess and it's fun to talk about. So I would love to know your thoughts on the Tommy Knockers and what you would do to fix it, um, whether in the novel or if we were to make a show. Uh, how would you do it? How would you make it better, stronger? What kind of wild, zany ideas do you have that would be amazing for the actual aliens, the town of Haven, the characters of Bobby or Jim or any of the other sort of side stories? What would you do? This is such a fun assignment. I always have fun when uh, we do this in class. So thank you guys so much for tuning into my mini lesson today. Uh, please be sure to write in to Underrated SK with your thoughts as well as any thoughts on past episodes, past novels. We love talking about Underrated King. We love talking about King in general. So if you haven't already, uh, definitely share the show with a friend if you think you have either a reader friend who's never read King before um, and would maybe use give them an underrated title that uh, you would like um, some of my thoughts to accompany them after they're done. Or if they recently finished Lisey's story, I do an investigation of the entire series, episode by episode. That was so much fun. Uh, if you also would be so kind, head over to Apple Podcast and give the show a five star. I would appreciate it greatly. And if you have any kind words to disperse our way, feel free to post a review but thank you guys for tuning in this is super fun for me I like talking about this story so I would love to hear more of your thoughts coming up on the show uh, Kim sees a little stuck on where I want to go next I'm super torn between later that came out in March of this year that's a hard case crime by King that is not an underrated work but I am a drooling hard case crime fan. I absolutely adore Joyland. I really, really liked The Colorado Kid, so I'm thinking about that one. However, I'm also ready. I think I'm ready for The Green Mile. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. Stay tuned. I promise to be in touch very soon. Thank you all. Take care and stay safe wherever you're at, and bye-bye.